he's worthy of it, even when it's cold. <laughs> Glad to see you this morning. We're going to continue in our uh, lesson the, about the big story. If you were here last week, we uh, started with God has a design for us, a plan for us, and started in the garden with creation. That's where man started. He, he created everything, and then it says... Isaiah wrote that God formed the world so it could be inhabited, and not just by animals, but he put man in the garden so they could tend it, gave them dominion uh, in this world, and he had a plan for fellowship and communion with his creation, with his people. And, and so uh, we're going to still stay uh, in that part of of history, I guess, of the world of creation, things that happened. But today we're going to talk about uh, the choice that brought bondage. Now, we know that when God created us, he didn't create us to be just robots and puppets and program us so we would uh, automatically praise him and love him and choose him. He gave us free will and he gave us the power to choose. And even in paradise, uh, things can go wrong, and man made a choice, and we're going to talk about the choice that brought bondage, and that this story that God has been writing since what we consider the beginning of time anyway shows us that uh, there is a, a bondage that came, the bondage that sin has brought into our lives. And so uh, let's go ahead and pray for the lesson this morning. Lord, we thank you for the Word of God. We thank you for the promise in it, and even though Lord, there are mistakes that we make. We know there's hope in you. We can trust you today for our deliverance and our help. Help us today as we learn from your word, and we ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Give him one more hand clap of praise before you're seated this morning. What a great God. Thankful. Thankful. I'm thankful that even though under the best of conditions, if we make mistakes, God is still made a way for us to get out. You know, uh, one writer in the New Testament said that God would not allow us to be tempted above that that we're able to bear, but will with the temptation make a way of escape that we are able to bear it. And so I'm thankful that even though I can't imagine how Adam and Eve must have felt but there was something else that came that day along with the guilt and the shame. There's a narrative with our lesson today, and uh, I thought it would be good. Uh, sometimes we just read the scripture and go through it, but the narrative kind of gives you maybe an insight of how they were feeling, kind of puts you in their place. So if you can just imagine uh, the scene of, of Eden on the day that Adam and Eve made that choice to disobey God's word. It says a gentle breeze tickled at their skin, skin now crudely shielded with thatched together fig leaves. Blood had crusted around a jagged rip on the side of Adam's finger. Eve had recoiled when she saw it, a strange crimson color that they had never seen before. Just think, they'd never seen blood before. Just one of so many things that were now thrust before them in an ugly parade of horror. What a different parade only a heartbeat ago. 
with contagious joy, the pure and holy one had marched before Adam, a visual symphony of animals with sounds and colors that now all but taunted his twisted thoughts. The memory of how perfect everything had been before the choice made the agony of deception more acute. That serpent, how he had twisted words, made Eve doubt the master's instructions. She replayed it all again. What had the creator said? Why had she even given pause at the sight of the fruit? She shuddered as she thought of how many lush fruit trees that she had walked around to get to the cursed tree. Too late to redo it or reason away the ugliness of the choice, only now to cope with the agony. But how to cope when every breath was suffocated with despair? Hiding frantically, trying to stop the nightmare. No direction, no hope, and no plan. And then it was his voice. Where are you? Mixed with the overwhelming fear and the shame came a new feeling. Something that they had never had a need to give voice to. Hope. His voice and the possibility that maybe he could still care. It was too much to believe, yet they dared to hope. And after failed excuses, with a rush of breath, the first man, Adam, confessed. Practice speeches were gone. What could you do in the face of the pure and holy one but let the truth tumble out? And in that moment of vulnerable reconnection with him, the path to restoration began. And so when we, you know, you read scripture sometimes and we're so focused on it, reading it, we don't maybe think about the feelings that Adam and Eve were going through, but it's feelings we've all had when we realize that we've not just made a mistake, but we have let the creator down. Because it's bad enough to hurt anybody, but when you know that you have done something that the one who died for you is not pleased with. I really believe, honestly, sometimes that that is exactly why some people walk away after making a mistake, is that they can't, they haven't yet really realized that God loves you even if you make a mistake. And that mistake, the shame is too much to bear. They just can't face walking back into his house, being in his presence, knowing that they hurt him. But even as Adam and Eve realized that, you know, they, they realized something's wrong and they tried to hide it and cover it up, the fig leaves. And, and we don't know that Adam cut his finger doing this. But it's, it's just things that could have happened. But there's all kind of emotions now. They, they've never been afraid. They never knew what shame was like. They never felt the need to hide and cover up. But now they do. And then uh, when they hear his voice, it's not him. Uh, you know, he knows. But it's not him cursing them or screaming at them. Or uh, it's not even him uh, sending angels to round them up to bring them to judgment. It's just his voice. As it had always been. But now you think he could still love us? Do you think he could still care about us? And hope begins to rise because there was no need to hope before. They had everything they needed. There was no hope in Adam and Eve. They, they, they had everything they could possibly want. They were not hoping for a new animal to be added. They were not hoping for uh, a new 
son to be added. Or Creation was perfect. Their lives were perfect. Fellowship with God was perfect until it wasn't. And now, even there in that place is where hope was birthed. And they realized that uh, even though we have made this mistake, even though uh, we broke that commandment, even though we know God must be truly disappointed with us, we can hope that he will still love us. We can hope that he's not fixing to destroy us. And so we know that uh, the story in the garden, it starts with God's plan for a perfect relationship, and that's what it was for a time. It was perfect, and that was God's design, God's plan. The drama unfolded on a flawless stage, a majestic garden. And today, even popular culture seems fascinated by the concept of the Garden of Eden, and people still try to emulate it with uh, utopian societies that seek perfect harmony. But what made the garden unique and impossible to ever recreate was that in the garden there was the absence of sin and the novelty of unfettered intimate communion with God. And that can never be recreated here because now sin has entered into the world. Paul wrote in Romans 5 and 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin and So death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. You see, when Adam did what he did, it it passed on to all of us. Every man that would enter into this world after that point would be under the transgression that Adam and Eve committed in that garden. It said, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. And nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses even after them that had not sinned, or even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. And so we realize now that bondage has entered into the world because of sin. And when, uh, it's, it's something that's come upon us, even though I didn't do it. I didn't eat of that fruit. And we might all say, I would have never been that stupid. Yes, we would. Uh, act like we know and if you were there you don't know what you could say it all day long oh there's no way it was perfect it was paradise I was walking in the cool of the day with God man didn't have to worry about getting dressed in the morning I mean it was it was, it was paradise no matter all how good it was man still made the mistake and they disobeyed the Lord and this is what happened God created humanity with love and with the intent for relationship. And now relationship was damaged because sin separates us from God. It didn't make God stop loving Adam and Eve. And it didn't even cause him to destroy them. He already had a plan for the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world. The detail, the de- this detail of the story is crucial, understanding that, that re- God intended relationship. You can never forget that. And it makes the sad turn in this story that much more heart-wrenching, knowing that God desires to be with us, yet we have caused that separation. It wasn't God that caused it. It was man that caused it. And you realize that God is not ever at fault in our mistakes. God is never at fault in our mess. 
He is a sovereign God, and, and, and his plan is always for the best. That's why the word says, all things work together for good to them that love God. All things work together for good, and so we have to trust him in this, uh, in this life, walking, realizing sometimes we fall, sometimes we fail, but relationship is still on the table. God still wants relationship even after we fall. For though a good man fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. God intends on helping us up for the hand of the Lord will hold him. And God intends on reaching down to pick us up, making a way for us to, to escape, giving us an answer when it just seems like there is none. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. God doesn't want us to be separated for. I am persuaded that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And so he, he never takes relationship off the table. But there's plenty of people who walk away from the table. He's there saying, come, let us reason together. And though your sins be as scarlet, I can make them white as snow. He's, he's saying, but we need to talk about this because it can't just be you do what you want and it'll be all right. It has to be according to my plan. And so God's original plan was for unity in the garden. God's infinite love can never be emphasized enough. It, it is the context for understanding the whole story. The depth of his love shatters our human expectations and, it, and limits uh, that we place on love because God loves unconditional and he loves without end. With absolutely no strings attached, God loved and loves his people. 1 John four nineteen says, We love him because he first loved us. And we need to understand that even before Adam ever uttered a single word or did one thing that could have just been pleasing to God, God loved him. Before Adam ever started naming animals, before he ever looked up and, and said, thank you, Lord, for giving me this life or whatever conversations they had, before Adam ever opened his eyes, God loved him. And before we ever knew him, and when we were not living for him, and when we were doing anything we could but to live for him, he loved us. Relationship was never off the table. No matter where we were, the bargain was still there. The, the deal was still there that he is making a way for us to escape. And it's, it, you know, it's, it's much like a, a parent when they're given a, a newborn baby for the first time. That's your first child and that baby. And you love that child. But in a way, and I mean this in a, just in a way, is that child has nothing yet that it can offer. It's not talking to you. It's not walking. You have to change his diaper. You have to feed it. It wakes you up. In a way, it has nothing to offer but little inconveniences all throughout the day. Now, come on. I'm not saying you don't love your kids. But you know, just about time you go to sit down and say, finally, I got five minutes. There you go to get that little baby out of the crib, or you know, you know, you got to feed that child, and uh, you know, and and ladies, you know, the ladies get the worst of that most of the time, and so you know, guys, we, you know, sometimes we'll jump on up and do that that feeding, but there's a point in time that ain't nothing I can do. 
Ain't no reason for both of us to be awake. <laughs> you say that, and you might not never wake up. <laughs> so that's a, all you guys that ain't married and got kids yet. Just put that in your list. Don't never say that. <laughs> Don't ever say that. But even with all that, though, you, you, you pick that child up and you're loving on it. And you're just, you know, it's, it's there. And you know that one day this child's going to look at you and say, I love you, Mama. I love you, Daddy. And you're just, you're waiting for those days. And so even with all these things, you're teaching it. And uh, you're just pouring love on it and pouring love on it. And that's the way God was doing with Adam and Eve. And they were just learning. God loved the man and woman he, he made. He loved them instantly, deeply, and unfailingly. And that's the exact way it is when you have that child or the way it should be, is that instantly you are in love with that child, even when it's still uh, in the womb and you just know you haven't you've seen it yet. And, man, back when... Uh, them sonograms with nothing but like, like the fuzzy screen on the TV and you couldn't tell nothing. It ain't like that 3D stuff or 4D or whatever it is going on today where it looks like a photograph. And you're like, oh, I can see the baby already. It kind of spoils it for me. I don't think I, I liked the other way. It was old-fashioned. But, but you, you, you couldn't tell. You see a little grainy, fuzzy image. They say, look, there's the head. I'll take your word for it. Uh, but, but you loved it anyway. It didn't matter. And then, then when you finally did see it, it looked like a little alien. <laughs> but you still loved it anyway. And no matter what shape or form or how undeveloped yet uh, that we are, God loves us instantly, deeply, and unfailingly. God will never fail to love you. And all the 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 canyons, the gaps, the, uh, the, the holes that that love can fill in your life to make you what you need to be if, if we would just let it. And so it would be nice to never have sinned. Life before sin was perfect. It was perfect peace, perfect joy because it was just pure communion with God. Never worried, am I making a mistake? Never worried, am I going to blow it today? Just every day, just pure joy and peace, waiting for God to show up, having that time with him. Uh, We can't fathom it. Adam and Eve lived with purpose, caring for the garden, enjoying intimate fellowship with God. They they didn't need uh, a 20-minute appointment for prayer with God. They had uh, communion and walks and talks with him every day. Life in the garden included full, perfect communion between God and his people. But from that place of provision and communion, the first humans chose a very difficult path, one of obstinate disobedience that changed everything. And so while Almighty God's first words to humans were words of provision and purpose, man's first recorded words to God, the first recorded words were words of confession. This is what had happened. God presents his people with the choice to love him. He didn't, uh, we said this earlier, he didn't, he didn't make us into robots that are programmed to just love him and, and worship him, but he, he chose to create us in his image with the power of reason and the ability to freely choose what and whom we will love. And so we need to make sure that we have made the choice to follow God. And then 
take steps that we reaffirm that choice every day in this world. You know, every day that Adam and Eve uh, did not eat of that tree, they were reaffirming, we trust his word, we're going to obey God, and we're living for him. And, and so there was no, no need for anything else. They were perfect like they were. And in this world today, if we have chosen to follow him, then we need to take steps every day to reaffirm that choice, make decisions that show I love God and I'm going to live for him and, and do my best for him. The power of choice uh, could only exist if there were an option to choose something other than God. You don't have to choose God. I hope you do, but you don't have to. God doesn't force you to choose him. So in the same command in which God gave Adam dominion over the entire garden, he also commanded him not to eat of a single of this one single tree. He never explained why he could not eat of that tree. He only told him the consequence. He only said, this is what will happen if you eat of that tree, you will die. As the audience watches, or as we're reading this and we're looking back, uh, you know, have you ever thought, why didn't God explain a little more? Why didn't you tell them why instead of just saying, this is what happens? Because he don't have to. Right. <laughs> He's God. Yeah. You think, well, if he had a reason, he would, would tell them so they could make an informed decision. Yet God chose only to make a request of his people. Don't eat this fruit. Seems like every time you read these stories, sometimes you know they're going to do it, and you're thinking in your mind, if you just didn't eat that fruit, if you, just don't do it. It's, you know, like you read about Moses hitting that rock. Don't hit that rock. Just speak to it. Yeah. But he was angry, and he did it, and it kept him out of the promised land. Mm -hmm. Choices have consequences. Right. But God didn't strike Moses dead right there. He didn't, he, he, he didn't kick him out and say, well, you blew it. He, he didn't do that to David. He didn't do that to all these other ones. He, you know, relationship was still always on the table. And I think nobody more than David probably uh, showed that he really understood that in his psalm, in Psalm 51, when he just, he, he pleaded, do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me, but create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. I want to keep this relationship alive. I've sinned against you, God. I've sinned against you only, but do not, do not cast me away from your presence. So I don't want him to ever take away what he's given me. I want this relationship with him. And so, just like Adam and Eve had a choice, so we have choices today. We can listen to God's word and choose his ways, or we can choose to pursue what he warns us against. And that's, there's plenty of things in this book that warns us, tells us things to stay away from. And I'm glad that it tells us what to stay away from. He told Adam and Eve, stay away from that tree, you'll die. Why didn't you just stay away? It was things in here in this book that people, he tells us, stay away from these things because people that do these things cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So just stay away from them. But yet people still gambling with that, with their life, gambling with eternity. That, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll get it right before he comes back. I'll, I'll, I'll get it right before I die. You don't know 
when you'll die. And you don't know when he'll come back. You just know that you will. One way or the other, you'll meet him through passing out of this life or either rapturing in the sky. But uh, you don't know when that's coming. You just know that it is. Why would you gamble with eternity? Why would you not? Relationships still on the table. So, but it's, it's what we value that determines the choices that we make. We can say we love something, but our actions will tell the true picture. We can have noble intentions, but when faced with a choice between something we believe in theory versus something we value in reality, our values will trump beliefs and determine our choice. So whatever we love, that's what's going and whatever we value, that's what we'll cling to. That's what we'll do. That's what we'll pursue. We don't just love in word only, but the scripture says we must love in deed, in our deeds. And so... Uh, we need to make sure we are examining where are our values at. And, and if we started out strong, then stay strong. I see so many people that started out strong. I mean, stood on God's word and said, this is it. This word got me. It saved me. It blessed me. It called me out of the darkness in the marvelous light. It changed me. It got sin out of my life. Only to later in life begin to let these things slip back in. But Why? If it was good enough for you at the beginning, then it's good enough for you still. Oh, I got a new revelation. Not from this book that you got the first revelation from. If this book opened your eyes to new life, it'll keep you in that new life. It will not change that new life. It will not, uh, it will not all of a sudden present you a new revelation that lets you let go of what got you saved. And you can internet search it, and you can read books, and you can quote the most popular mega church pastors. It's this book. Well, they got a church with 10,000 people, and you know he, he must be preaching it right, really. Maybe that's why he's got a church with 10,000 people. I'll move on. I'm just telling you. I'm thankful that God called me out of darkness. And while I hate terribly and am ashamed terribly of the life I lived prior to Jesus, my wife thinks it's funny because I'll say pre-Jesus. He was always there. I just didn't know it. But So pre-me knowing Jesus. I know what it's like to live on the other side of the fence. I know what it's like to live without God. I know what it's like to live uh, making your own choices, doing those things. And there is not one single part of that old man that you can bring into this new man. I got to go. In Eve's case, perhaps she walked through the garden that day with no intention of disobeying God. Most times we never just intend on making that mistake. Maybe in her innocence she had never even paused to question you know, God's command. However, for some reason, she found herself near the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And she paused to listen to the serpent. And, and then, uh, you know, why would you even go near something God said stay away from? Why was it, uh, why, why was it life with perfect communion enough, Eve? Why was it enough? And did Eve not value her relationship with God enough to protect it? But you could ask the same thing about Adam. 
Adam, why didn't you just say no? There's all kind of theories, and we can't preach another message about that. There's all kind of reason you can guess why Adam did what he did, why he went ahead and took the fruit as well. The end result was that they both sinned against God and then instantly consumed by things that come along with sin, bondage, shame, and anguish. Grief over what they had done, fear, and fear brings bondage. We must reject sin and its bondage and then look to God for our freedom because if the Son will make you free, then you're free indeed. That's the only place that freedom can come now. The, lesson that, uh, the lessons that cost us the most are usually the lessons most remembered. Don't you think if Adam and Eve could have sent a message through time that they would say, hey, <laughs> do not disobey God. Yes, we still have relationship with him, but life is so much harder now. When you start that new life with him, do not go against his word. Don't you know people like Lot's wife, if they could just stop and send you a message and say, hey, if he says don't turn around and look back, don't look back. Because I know the consequences. That, you know, the Lord never told Lot or his wife what would happen. Get out of here. Safety's that way. Don't look back. And she turned around and looked back. Now she's a pillar of salt. And Adam and Eve would tell us, I believe they would tell us, do not disobey God's word. Avoid sin at all cost. The world today makes a joke of sin. Takes a delight in uh, flaunting disobedience of the, even the most basic morals. Stories abound all around us that testify of the devastation that comes from violating God's plan. Perhaps it may seem a smaller uh, stage than that of the first man and woman in the garden, but our disobedience and sin today likewise carry the terror-inflicting consequences of being separated from God. You know, I'm not even so sure that it had anything to do about the fruit on the tree at all. The Bible says the wages of sin are death. The only thing they knew about the tree is if you eat of it, you shall die. To eat it is to disobey. To disobey is sin, and sin causes death. It wasn't so much about the fruit or even that what it could open their eyes to. It was about obeying God's word. It wasn't that uh, so much the fruit itself. It was that if God had said, hey, you can eat that fruit, they'd been fine. It wasn't poison. They didn't drop dead right there. There was a spiritual death that happened. There was a a separation between them and God because they had disobeyed God's word. And that's the same thing. That if we disobey, it separates us. But there's hope. And with God's help, we can recognize and we can flee from uh, these deceptions, these things that get us in this world and cause us to walk away from God. When we uh, study the story, we see how the deceiver approached Eve and how he still, uh, he, he still tries to stop us today. He does not want us. He, the Lord told Peter, Satan desires to have you to sift you as wheat. He wants to stop your progress with God. 
He positioned himself near the object of temptation. It's not clear why Eve was there. She should have just stayed away. And then she could have safeguarded herself against the temptation and, uh, and she would have been fine. But she got close to things. She, she went uh, un, unprotected there to that place and then she gave in to temptation. We need boundaries in our life today. That's why you need scripture in your life today. That's why you need uh, verses of scripture that say abstain from the very appearance of evil. That's why you need scriptures that say, if you do this, that, and this, that you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. That, uh, the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. There's things that tell us uh, how to behave ourselves morally. There are scriptures that we have to obey, all of it. The script, what scriptures do I obey? All of them. <laughs> you obey the, the word and uh, the principle of the word of God. And it'll keep you in the right place with him. It'll keep you in a place of relationship with him. Even one uh, the uh, thought in that day that Jesus walked this earth was that uh, a man who had been healed said, well, we know that God does not hear the prayer of sinners. But if any man be a worshiper, him God will hear. And so we understand that uh, they, they realize that sin separates people from God. And because of sin, there's all kinds of things that enter into, have entered into this life. You know why people are sick today? Not because maybe they sinned, but because sin entered into the world. Just because somebody uh, goes to the doctor and says, hey, you've they, you got heart disease. It doesn't mean that person uh, himself did an action that gave him heart disease besides eating too many Big Macs. It was, uh, but it, it's the fact that sin has entered into the world. And because of that, now death and, and sickness and all kind of worry and fear and anxiety and stress. Just think how, how people, can you imagine uh, how Adam and Eve were having to deal with people that are stressed? In the, in the garden, they didn't know anything about stress and anxiety or depression until that, they got all of it. Adam and Eve carried every emotion into this world because I'm sure they were depressed. Realizing that they could not go back to, to perfection like they had before. I'm sure that there was stress over how to now provide food and shelter and clothing. And, and anxiety over uh, storms and things that were coming their way they'd never seen before. I'm sure the grief and sadness over knowing that one of their sons killed their other son. They brought all that emotion. They carried the weight of all that emotion into this world and it passed on to us today and put us into bondage until Jesus. And I'm thankful that if the Son will make you free, then you will be free indeed. And so we need these uh, protections. We need these boundaries. We need guardrails in our life. And uh, out of respect of what pleases God in our care to preserve our relationship with Him, we should uh, build guardrails that protect us from those temptations. If you really don't want to sin against God, then take steps to ensure that. Prayer and fastings and studying and, and correct fellowship will help keep you out of sin. Yeah. If you run around with hogs, you're going to get muddy. Well, I got my best clothes on, then stay out of the hog pen. If you don't want to mess them up. 
I mean, just look naturally. If you don't want to get, you know, you say, hey, if you don't want fleas, don't lay down with dogs. You know, there's, there's things. You stay, uh, birds of a feather flock together. I like that one. Well, that means, I'm not saying you won't have friends, you won't have family, you won't have people in this world that, that you don't, you, I love them, but they're not in church. Well, you know what? You better not spend all your time with people who are not in church. I'm not saying you can't love them, even see them, have a good time with them. Especially, you know, uh, you know, there's birthdays, weddings, things come up, you see them, things like that. Yeah, you love them. But if you spend all your time with people who don't love God and don't share your values of living for God, it almost never, ever goes the way you want it to. Oh, I'm going to win them by hanging out with them all the time. No, they're going to win you. You want to win them? Bring them to church. Bring them to a church function. You know, these uh, bar stool ministries and beach ministries and all that nonsense like that. You know what, church ministry. You know where David, the psalmist said, I've seen his power and glory. He said, I've seen it in the sanctuary. Bring people to church. Bring them to the house of God. It ought to still be a big deal to invite somebody to church. Because we have no problem going to whatever they invite us to. Hey, can you come to, the, to, to my kids this, my kids that? Or can you come? Yeah, we'll go, we'll go. Hey, can you come to church? No, I can't do that. I just parcel it out. Well, you know, this is what's important to me. I'd like you to come to church with me. That's just silly preaching, Pastor. It's not silly. You know how people live for God and go to heaven? They stay with God. You know how people, uh, you find them in church and they're elders and they're, oh, you, you've been serving God, what, 50, 60, 70 years? You know why? Because they stayed in church. You think they were just hermits that never enjoyed life? If you talk to them, you'll find out that ain't true. They had the greatest life going because nothing is better than that perfect walk with God. You can't spice it up with a little flavor from the world. It's perfect just like it is. Living your life for God. And if you'll read this book and pray this book and seek God's will, you'll understand that God doesn't want you to go live in a cave and roll a rock over yourself. But he has given us all things in this world, things we can enjoy, things where we can, uh, we can ha- have our families and love our families and love our friends. We can enjoy nature. We can enjoy activities. We can just have a great time in this life. You don't have to. Connect yourself to this world to have a good time. This world will kill you. Love not the world. Neither love the things that are in the world. For all the things that are in the world are not of the Father. They don't come from Him. I'm getting all over the place in this message, I guess. But it'll get the best of us if we're not careful. You've got to protect yourself. Oh, God's watching over me. Sure he is. And he's going to watch and see what choice you make. You don't think he was watching over Adam and Eve? You think he didn't know that day when he had to uh, step down to speak to them? He didn't already know that they were hiding and covered up in fig leaves? Looking ridiculous? 
You think he didn't already know, he wasn't already grieved in his heart knowing that this perfect couple have in the most perfect place They've got everything they could need, and yet they still chose. But I love them so much I can't destroy them. I love them so much I've got to make a provision. But that, I'll tell you, just like that serpent whispered to her, this world will whisper to you. That enemy will whisper to you. He ain't stopped whispering. He lost any of his subtlety. He's still there. It says now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And, and he said to, to Eve, he said, Yea, hath God said you should not eat of every tree of the garden? He tried to confuse her mind and twist the words. And, and then he, he worked on her pride. Said, Hey, if you eat this, you'll be more like God. That's why God didn't want you to do it because he don't want you to be more like him. Everything God does, he wants us to be more like him. But the serpent lied, and he appealed to her pride. You know, uh, when Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness, worked on the same things. He, he questioned his, tried to question his deity. If you are the son of God, tried to, to work on things, you know, ego. God, Jesus didn't have ego and reputation and pride in him, but he had word. You know what that word did? It safeguarded him. Because every time he would say, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So he didn't give in to the temptation to turn rocks into bread. Uh, Throw yourself off this pinnacle. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. It kept him from doing that. You see how the word protects you when the enemy offers things up to you? And maybe that's why uh, when he he brought it uh, like that to Eve, worked on her pride, hey, you know, God just knows you'll be more like him and and y'all be like gods knowing this, knowing that, and and uh, trying to build her up, make her think, hey, this, this is what I really want. John wrote in 1 John 2 and 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. You see that? That desire for those things, that flesh, eyes, pride of life, it's not of the Father, but it's of the world. And in the face of all these temptations, Eve should have valued her relationship with God so that the serpent's false allures were no match for the intimate communion she had with God. Because I'm going to tell you, once you lose that communion with him, once the choice in your mind is already there, that I'm going to do this, it doesn't matter how many messages you've preached, how much you've shouted or talked in tongues, once you decide, I'm going to turn my back, your preaching and tongue talking ain't what stops you. It's how much you value your walk with God. How much you love him. And I love him enough that I, like, I'm going to stick with you. I'm going to stick with you. No matter what. That's good. I know I'm run, running close to time here, honey, if you want to come on up. The most exciting truth in this, this story, though, I'm, I've got to jump down and get, try to close this out and tie it up, is that he will always, without fail, offer grace in exchange for sin. Where sin does abound, his grace does much more abound. And so instead of uh, him just blowing up the planet, wiping everything out and saying, forget it, I'll just, I've always existed, I've got my angels, I've got this and that, I'll just exist, forget this human stuff. Instead... He talks with them. There's a conversation. 
that goes on between them. And he gives them an opportunity to confess and come to him with honesty. And the man and woman fumble at the scene. Adam blames her and God. She blames the serpent. And now everything's a mess. But instead of God just wiping them out right there, he turns around and he looks at the serpent and he pronounces judgment on him. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, you're accursed more than all cattle, more than every beast of the field, and on your belly you shall go. You shall eat dust all the days of your life, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. God gave us a glimpse of what was coming. Adam and Eve probably didn't realize it all at the time. Didn't understand maybe that he was referring to the Savior that was coming. But when we read this book, we realize that even in the beginning, when sin brought bondage, God was making a way of escape. That God was going to have uh, uh, this, this Savior that was going to bruise the head of that serpent. A Savior who will bring salvation to humanity once and for all. You can stand with me this morning. In Colossians 1, 13 and 14, Paul said, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of, his, of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin. I'm thankful today that relationship is still on the table. That God has not kicked us uh, to the curb and made us out to be just junk and set us at the side for the trash collector to pick us up. But He takes us comes to us, reasons with us, lets us know, I can still help you. If we confess our faults, the scripture says that he is faithful to forgive us. I'm thankful today that we can still have a conversation with God. You have never once made a mistake where you heard God scream at you in anger. Because if he did, you wouldn't even be here. I believe it would just consume you. Never one time have you made that mistake, hurt your brother or sister, said something, done something you shouldn't have done, and, and just felt a slap from heaven. Maybe something in your spirit and you realized it was wrong, but I'm talking about where God just flattened you out. So that's it. Because that's not God. Whom he loves, he chastens. He'll correct us, but he'll always do it with love because he wants relationship to stay on the table. If you correct someone in anger and, and, and are harsh and ugly, you damage relationship. You, you drive people away doing that, but God lovingly corrects us, chastens us if he has to, but he does it so that we can be saved. And I'm thankful for that today. Let's lift our hands and pray this morning. Lord, we thank you today for your goodness and mercy. Oh, for that unending love. Lord, I'm thankful today that relationship is always on the table. Lord, I pray that we'll all have uh, that kind of attitude that we value our relationship with you so much that we'll do whatever it takes to avoid walking away from you or hurting you or going against your word God give us humble spirits let us be quick to repent and always quick to love you because you love us 
with an everlasting love. Bless this word. Let us receive it today in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being in Sunday school. Let's find a place to pray before the next service.